broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Midtown Business Radio. Hey everyone, it's C.W. Hall, your host, and this week on the Midtown Business Radio Show, I sat down with immigration legal expert Karen Weinstock. She founded the Weinstock Immigration Lawyers Practice a little over 12 years ago here in the Atlanta area. She's assembled a team of immigration legal experts with over 100 years of combined experience between them. They've been helping clients on issues such as work visas, green cards, U.S. citizenship, deportation and immigration court representation, and immigration appeals, and a host of others. She also shared with us her experience as an immigrant to the United States herself a number of years ago. She discussed some of the missteps that she felt like she made along the way that made it a little bit more complicated and stressful for her to establish herself as a U.S. resident trying to enter the workforce here in the country. And she decided ultimately to apply her legal practice to immigration law so that she could help individuals and businesses coming after her perhaps have a lot better experience as they navigate the complex, convoluted waters of immigration law. You can clearly hear the passion that she has around her work in immigration issues and how much she enjoys being able to be so empathetic with those folks going through those things as she's been through them herself. Check it out. I help companies and individuals achieve their American dreams by solving immigration problems. I'm originally from Israel. I immigrated here about 15 years ago. And I love it because I get to help people in a very difficult and critical time of their lives when they're moving to a different country. And everything is very different. And I really get to impact their lives in a very, very uh, real way. The same thing with companies. I'm able to solve really, real problems at the time that they needed the most. Stick around, we got the full interview with Karen Weinstock coming up next. Good afternoon, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on the Midtown Business Radio Show. Thanks so much for making us a part of your afternoon again today. Very pleased to be introducing you to an attorney here in the Atlanta area who is focused on immigration law and helping uh, both companies and individuals who have either international business to conduct uh, or individuals who are seeking to uh, to live here or, or experiencing some sort of uh, challenges around uh, their uh, citizen status. So uh, Karen Weinstock is an attorney of Weinstock Immigration Lawyers, was kind enough to jump on with us today, share a little bit about her story. She's an immigrant to the United States herself and uh, has an interesting story to tell about that and how uh, those experiences in those days influenced her to head down the path of immigration law to help others uh, who may be following her footsteps. So Karen, thanks so much for uh, jumping on with us today. I know you're a busy person, so uh, we appreciate you. Thank you, CW. I appreciate you having me here. And so I was reading your biography, and it mentioned the fact that you had immigrated to the States from Israel, I believe it was, and that the experience that you went through uh, coming to the United States as an immigrant influenced your career choices. Can you tell me a little bit about your story and how it got you here? Sure. So I, uh, I'm i originally from Israel. I was born and raised there, and I uh, went to the Army like everybody else, and <laughs> Um, for a couple of years, and then I went to law school um, after that uh, to university, and um, I uh, actually practiced there for a year under um, an internship in the Israeli bar. You have to basically, um, in order for you to sit for the bar, you have to practice under a licensed attorney for a year, so you kind of learn how to be a lawyer, which is, I think is a good idea, so you don't just go out and 
and, and practice and, um, without any experience once you finish law school. But, but, um, so I did that for a year and then, um, I decided during that year that I did not want to practice law in Israel. <laughs> so, um, then I had a, a decision to make. Okay, what am I going to do? I just, you know, went to law school and you know, what I want to do. So, so then I thought, okay, let me try, um, the United States. So I basically, studied for the bar exam. Uh, I had a, um, my cousin was then living in New York City, and I had a mom, my mom's cousin was also living in, in New York City at the time. And so I kind of had a place to stay, and they said, come on, we'll help you, and, and all that. So I studied for the New York bar and um, went and did the exam and passed and got my license there. Mm-hmm. And... And then, of course, I was a visitor, uh, so I did not have any work visa. I really didn't have connections other than those couple of people that I knew there. And they were, of course, not in the legal field, so they couldn't help me at all. Right. And and then I just um, I just started to do all the wrong things um, to get my first um, job or foot in the door, um, so to speak. So. Um, I graduated from Hebrew University, which is is the top law school in Israel, but it's like you know the equivalent of a Harvard here, right? Sure. But nobody, nobody in the United States or say, very few United people yeah. <laughs> would know, right? Right. right. So uh, would know this. So uh, you know, I sent my resume uh, via fax. Tells you how old I am, yeah. uh, and um, yeah, did a lot of stuff by snail mail and. I really made a lot of mistakes because really the way that you get a job, especially if you're kind of not um, a cookie cutter type of situation, it is really and really the way to get a job now is really to network, get to know people, have them know you and, and kind of, you know, make a good impression. And that's kind of leading um, doors to be open for you and so forth. But I did not do that. Sure. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I... I uh, I spent a lot of time just uh, chasing after my own tail, and um, and once I did start networking and many, meeting people and getting to know people, um, I had a catch-22 where I could not get a job without a visa, and I couldn't get a visa without a job. <laughs> oh, that um, classic so, conundrum. So that was, uh, that was, again, a lot of time and, and, and energy and frustration kind of there. And um, the end of it all was I um, interned for um, for this uh, big firm and did not like it all, at all. The the practice of law I, I did not care for that in Israel either, and and it was a lot worse here, um, especially in, in a in a big law firm in, in New York City where you have to work I don't know fifteen twenty hours a day or something like that. I yeah, mean, for next to nothing, um, if not nothing, right? <laughs> Yeah, and just bill hours, which was not really my cup of tea, um, if you know what I mean. So, sure. um, so then I, I figured, okay, uh, what would I do now? And I started my own law firm, um, which was basically just me, um, and I got a, a little office uh, space, and I helped Israeli companies. That back in the day, it was like the early 2000s. Uh, I don't know if you remember that, but it was the 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 peak of the tech bubble. Right. And so a lot of technology companies were setting up op- offices in the United States, and they all want 
they all wanted a corporation in Delaware, and um, some people, some companies were moving people here, some some not, but they just needed that for their kind of like their show and tell. Um, and so I did a, a corporate law for the first couple of years, and I did not care for that very much. <laughs> and what was it about it that, it just, that, that you know didn't thrill you? I like the client contact, um, but I really didn't care for 100-page agreements and a lot of the same, just paperwork over paperwork right, right. over paperwork. And, and so and I, I didn't really feel I was making a huge difference um, in the lives of, of clients. And, and so, so I basically kind of veered into, into immigration law. Mm-hmm. And... With my experience, and uh, I have another story to tell you about that, because my first experience with an immigration lawyer was in New York City. I went to an immigration lawyer um, based on an ad that I read in the paper, and the advice that he told me was basically to get married for papers. Sure. So fake marriage for papers. <laughs> right. So, uh, which was not a good experience, of course. And yes. I, you know, went and the second time that I, I contacted an immigration lawyer, I actually did my due diligence beforehand and really searched and and found really a really really good one who helped me get my first visa and so the um that lawyer actually that that helped me with with my uh, visa actually offered me a job he said well come work as an immigration lawyer you'll be great at it and so i'm very thankful to him to uh, for steering me into this direction because um that's exactly what i did i i um I started with that firm, and I learned immigration law, law from the, the top down. I had a little bit of personal experience, sure. so um, so I was able to relate and to understand it maybe a little bit better than somebody starting fresh out of law school here. Mm-hmm. And um, and then the rest is history, so to say. <laughs> We're talking with immigration law expert Karen Weinstock of the Weinstock Immigration Lawyers located here in Atlanta, Georgia, learning about her story as uh, she was explaining just now about how she immigrated to the United States from Israel and was going through that challenging period of time where you described to get a visa to, to be here, you had to have, I guess, a job lined up ahead of time. Um, but to get the job lined up, you had to have a visa. Um, can, I, I think that that's an interesting facet here, because I'm sure this obviously affects many, many people. You mentioned the fact that you were, at, even though you were here on a, as a visitor status, what I'm, I'm not versed at all in, in this element of things. So uh, as a visitor to the country, you're here on a passport. Is that the document that you're here on? Right. So basically, if you are a foreign national, somebody who's not a U.S. citizen, yeah. then uh, the way for you to get admitted to the United States legally is basically with your foreign passport, yeah. whichever country you're from, I'm, I'm from Israel, sure. and uh, and a U.S. visa. So you have to, to get a visa, you have to go to the U.S. embassy or consulate abroad in your home country yeah. and ask for a visa. And for a visitor, you basically have to prove that you have ties back to your home country and you're not going to stay here illegally or work illegally and so forth. And how long does that um, let you remain as a visitor? Um, correct. So when you come here, you go through Customs and Border Protection, and they give you um, the ability to stay here for, let's say, three months, six months, however the, the, the time that they determine. I see. And there are about 20-some countries, 25, 26 countries, 
um, mostly Western Europe, and that you actually don't even need a visa to come here. You just basically can come in on your passport. You just have to fill out some information and register with the Immigration Service All ahead right. of time. All right. Now, I think it's interesting. You mentioned the fact that you finally decided that you were just going to start your own. You're going to give yourself a job, basically. You started your own practice, which apparently, based on what I'm hearing, helped you with the visa process. Is that correct? At the time, uh, it did. The unfortunate thing is that now, uh, with um, a lot of the new regulations and rules that are coming from the immigration agency or USCIS, that is no longer an option. Okay. A lot of entrepreneurs in my situation and in other situations are actually prohibited from getting certain types of visas, like the H-1B, which is the, the visa that I, that I received many, many years ago, because they owned the, the company, which is really, really sad. Mm-hmm. I, I just thought it was interesting that you would be able to, you were able to, as a visitor to the country, start a business. Um, and then in, from there, you were able to to get started. And and so, I guess, bring us up to, to now. Obviously, you, you got into, you, know, you had an opportunity from a colleague there to break into immigration law. And obviously, um, now, over 12 years later, you found that you really like it. Um, talk about that from the perspective of when we when we talk about the topic of immigration law who needs it obviously someone who's immigrating the country could potentially benefit from em, uh, interfacing with you but talk about who needs to think about signing up uh, with the Weinstock immigration lawyers okay so we have a really diverse uh, group of, of clients as you can probably imagine um, and so some of our clients are U.S. companies that are in technology, engineering, uh, very, very uh, what's called high-tech, um, wh- where they rely on some portion of foreign-born workforce right. because of either specific technologies, uh, specific skills that uh, some of those uh, foreign workers have. And, and, and they need uh, someone like us to help them um, to file uh, work visa petitions for, for these employees so they can retain those employees. Um, the other um, uh, portion of our clients involve global companies, um, either um, U.S. subsidiaries or uh, foreign-owned companies, uh, whether it be from Europe, Germany, U.K., France, or Japan, or other uh, countries that are represented here that open subsidiaries, either either for uh, sales and marketing or for actually manufacturing uh, things in the United States um, as, as subsidiaries. Uh, to, to be able to do business here, um, you, you actually have to uh, incorporate a separate entity, and, and a lot of these uh, foreign companies want to um, employ people from their own uh, uh, company culture, uh, people who have experience with their processes, procedures. Um, so they, they usually transfer uh, managers and executives to the United States to perform these positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have um, u- university clients uh, because, um, as you may or may not know, a lot of the PhDs um, and the researchers uh, are foreign-born, especially in the scientific um, uh, occupations mm-hmm. uh, or, or subjects. And and so there's a, a big, big div- uh, diversity of clients that we have. And we also have the individual client side um, that um, those are uh, U.S. citizens who 
uh, want to marry or already are married with foreign nationals, either because they're expats and are on assignment to other countries, or they're in the United States and they met somebody uh, abroad. I see. And so with the company that you described that's got some foreign nationals that they need to have here in the country, and you mentioned the fact that the, the, the incorporation process is kind of specific to those types of companies, I assume that you handle all of that. We handle the immigration portion of it. Okay. We don't handle the incorporation, okay. uh, but we have a lot of um, work that we do with other attorneys that are corporate lawyers and also with uh, CPAs who handle a tax um, structure and a transfer pricing, if, 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 that, if that is a consideration, and other things that you have to take all of them into account when you set up operations here. I see. And when we talk about immigration and business, I mean, what sorts of, what sorts of business problems might you solve through the process of immigration? So immigration, as an idea and as a general rule, immigration um, wants to solve the problem of, of talent. Um, you have a business, you have a specific need in that business to hire specific skill set, experience, expertise, education, combination of all the above skills training. And immigration basically is there or should be able to solve that business problem of I need this person with that specific skill set and experience and I can't find them locally. Um, I need to import them from somewhere else. Yeah, they're in India or wherever. I mean, I say or that. Or in I, China. Or yeah, China. right. And you know, I, I would imagine you encounter many people through the healthcare system as well. I know that uh, that's my background is healthcare. And um, clearly we're falling behind with the rate that we're graduating folks from residencies just because they're so limited for one thing. But um, I know that that's one of the places that we're trying to turn to as a healthcare system is to foreign-born medical graduates. Do you interface with those folks as well? Yes, yes. We represent a lot of hospitals and, and, and foreign medical graduates because the U.S. medical uh, schools are, is, is a closed number, and, and obviously we need more doctors than there are spots in the medical schools. And so what we have is about one in four uh, residents in all the U.S. residency programs is foreign-born. And those foreign physicians come here on, on visas, and obviously they want, they want to stay here once they finish their uh, residency. Sure. So... They have to find, obviously, employers that are willing to hire them. They have to uh, go through credentialing programs and obviously finish the, the residencies and fellowships if, if, that's, if that's the case. And we're not a political show, but obviously you hear in the political news these days all this discussion about immigration and immigration law. I mean, what are the challenges for the business community as it relates to our current legislative approach to immigration? So we have a big problem in our immigration system, and the problem is that the immigration law is so old and antiquated that it just didn't meet up with the reality of today's business world. The immigration law um, is dating back to 1952 and really post-World War II, and the business demographics, the globalization, everything was very, very different then than it is now. And many occupations now, for example, require degrees, a lot of things uh, in computer, computer science, technology, 
all of those are really new cutting edge occupations and that basically developed or exploded in the last 20 years and they weren't really conceived of when the immigration law was was enacted so many years ago mm-hmm. and so we we have the need on one hand uh for a very highly skilled highly educated uh, population of, of employees, foreign employees, or employees in general, that the United States does, does not generate all of them in-house or, or here from, from the native-born population. And on the other hand, we have a huge foreign uh, population that wants to come here because uh, better quality of life and better education for the, the kids and all the great great things that we have here. But the, the immigration law just doesn't allow that huge gap to be bridged because it was designed so long ago. And so we have a quota system, we have a cap system that was designed 60 years ago that no longer holds. Was there a thought process? I mean, what was it? Why did we put a quota on? I guess that means that there's a limit on how many people will admit in a given period of time. Is that what you're talking about? Correct. Okay. Correct. There's a quota for temporary visas. Uh, for example, the H-1B visa, the quota is 85,000. And um, and it's nothing. It's it's right. That's about a, a quarter of a percent yeah. of the U.S. workforce. It's nothing. Sure. It's for the entire U.S. per year. It's nothing. And uh, this year, I think the Immigration Service received about 250,000 applications. Was the logic behind that to try to protect the American worker? There, there are mechanisms in place to protect American workers, and, and that's really uh, part of the sad part of it, yeah. because the, the the quota system was really designed in a period where all of these occupations were not even conceived of, and where <laughs> right. you know globalization was not even an issue, and now you know the world is really flat. So you know a company that's operating, let's say here and in China, you know if you're setting up operations or you want something to happen, then you have to send the employee yesterday, you know, or tomorrow. You can't wait for a year or two years to 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 do that. And really, it, it interrupts the business and 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 it really hurts. Uh, it hurts the economy. It hurts the company. It hurts the employees. It it hurts everybody. The the system which we currently have. And the sad part of it is that the politicians just don't understand it, and all all that we hear is um, about undocumented immigrants, sure, legal right. immigration, yep. and that's another huge problem that the immigration law right now does not solve. Um, and it actually creates and, and, and kind of supports, because once a person enters the United States illegally, um, just, you know, sneaking through the border, then there's pretty pretty much nothing that he or she can do to legalize their status in the United States. So uh, there's a very, there are very few exceptions for those who are married to U.S. citizens or permanent residents, and you have to go through a long, long process of getting a waiver, and um, it's, it's, very experience, it's very expensive, it's time-consuming, you need a lot of experience to win those cases. And so it's, it's not a very welcoming system. It's, it, the system itself punishes you for... For doing it the right breaking way. the law, so it's not like you can come here and get all the benefits. That's strictly not true. It's it's a mis it's a misapprehension. Yeah, and so I mean, if I'm if I do it right, if I come in and do A B C as I should, what's what's that process like? How long is it going to take me? Where do the t- where do the typical missteps occur? Well, it depends. So for some for some countries we have um, treaties with 
a lot of the Western European countries, for example. And so if you are a national of one of these and and you are working for a company that um, is of that same nationality, let's say a U.S. subsidiary, as as an example of a U.K. company. So... You can you there there are options for you, um, but for other companies, for example, with India, China, Brazil, there are no treaties like that. So your your options may be more limited. And so if you are a professional, for example, and you have to go through the quota through the H-1B quota and get a visa, and your your chances are one of three or one of four or one of two in getting selected because there's not enough visas. It's really a problem. So a company that wants to sponsor somebody like that could could wait anywhere from six months to two years plus. Wow! And this is crazy. And and you know, and clearly, based on what we're talking about here, I mean, it sounds to me like um, there's a couple of different things. I mean, there's the folks that, as you talked about, that come here. Um, "Quote unquote illegally," uh, and then then there's the folks that are trying to immigrate, say for work or 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 education, whatever the case may be. Um, is there is there any effort? Because uh, I've not, I, other than what they've talked about on the news, I haven't delved into the issue of immigration very deeply, unfortunately. Um, so, I mean, is there efforts to address the quota side of things that that might ease some of that burden that could actually help some of our our businesses here in the country? Uh, there was legislation that was introduced um, before before the elections um, last um, be, la- last time. It passed uh, the Senate, but it did not pass Congress because basically John Boehner would not put it on the floor for a vote. So unfortunately, there's a lot of people blocking the political process from actually being implemented. And part of the thing is um, that the Democrats, when they talk about immigration issues, they want to group together the professionals, the highly educated, the quota system on the employment-based side, and also deal with the family issues and the social issues of the people who are skilled but don't have the advanced degrees in the um in these types of skills but still the economy still needs them like mm-hmm. people that work in construction landscaping agriculture right those are hospitalities yeah. those are the Labor, main industry yeah, but yeah, yeah but the, the economy does need them obviously we can't deport them all and a lot of them have u.s citizen family members uh, spouses and children it's just that the, basically the law prohibits them from legalizing and on the other hand the law also does not allow for temporary workers so if we had a visa that would allow the, for temporary labor uh, to move across borders it would make the the situation a lot more e- uh, you know a lot more easy for for getting the labor that is needed and on the the other hand not getting long-term benefits. Mm-hmm. One of the issues as it relates to, say, the the set you were just mentioning, the immigrant workers that come across illegally, typically from the Latin American country, countries across the southern border, as you mentioned, many of them end up working in some sort of a skilled labor or manual labor kind of capacity, doing things in agriculture or construction, as you talked about. It would seem to me that doing what you just mentioned, a, a temporary work option would be 
a way to do it so that those folks would go through the documentation process, come here legally, support the economy as you talk about, and then perhaps either stay or, or, or not, but be able to transition so that they are going through the process as the, as the government would want. But I mean, one of the things that everybody talks about as it relates to the illegal uh, immigrant is they're taking American jobs, but I don't see a lot of folks going out to apply to pick blueberries or to uh, haul off rocks out of your yard. I mean, these folks are, are stepping into those roles and, and clearly fulfilling a function in, in the American economy. One of the arguments that I heard as it relates to the illegal immigrant is that they end up getting taken advantage of. They get exploited because of their illegal status. Obviously, they're reticent to say, hey, I'm I'm being taken advantage of here. So things like work conditions, things like uh, pay, for example, end up being slanted very much in the in the way of the person providing the work, not so much for the workers. What do you, what do you think about that from that side of things, from the perspective of an immigration attorney? I mean, to me, that made somewhat a measure of sense. I mean, we had we had the rise of unions to protect the worker, but nobody, you know, in the workplace who who really stands for the the that immigrant who's here on an undocumented status that is, is, is filling a role, but maybe their work conditions and pay is not commensurate with what they're doing. And, and you're raising very important points. And, and interestingly enough, when the Senate proposal was passed through the Senate, the AFL-CIO, actually they supported the bill, which, I mean, they represent the unions, which is very interesting because really they, they realized that the immigrants here are doing very important work. And a lot of that work is not going to be done by union members or a lot of the right. American yeah. workers. I mean, let's face it. And I don't know if you recall, but a yeah, I don't know if you recall, but a couple of years ago uh, there was um, an anti-immigration bill that was passed in Georgia, and there was another one that passed in Alabama. And what ended up happening is that the the crops, the immigrants, uh, the, the immigrant workforce, especially in agriculture, has basically left the state. The crops were rotting on the field. And then uh, they, the governors of the two states had the um, had programs of putting um, uh, prisoners or people who just released were just released from prison and were on parole, uh, putting them in the field to pick up whatever blueberries, peaches, yeah. whatever. Yeah. And it did not work at all. I was going to say, I'm so sure they went swimmingly. People in prison who are just getting re- or are just getting released from prison would not do this. Yeah, this they're like, of, I, I didn't uh, have this in mind when I got out. When I robbed the bank, I didn't think I would have to do this, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, clearly I wasn't uh, really interested in manual labor when I went into uh, thievery as my as my chosen uh, career. I've been talking with immigration lawyer Karen Weinstock of the Weinstock Immigration Lawyers here in Atlanta, learning uh, about the process of immigration and, and particularly how it affects the business community. And you ended up being an entrepreneur in the uh, country, Karen, and, and, and talk about that side of things for for the person who wants to immigrate to the United States, because clearly, if you if you come here and you're you are motivated, I've met several folks who, like yourself, have come here and that's that was their case. They saw an opportunity for for hard work being rewarded um, as part of our economy that that they could really do well. Uh, talk about that. What's the climate like for someone who immigrates to the United States to become an entrepreneur? Um, so <laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> At least it wasn't for me. Yeah. But I did enjoy the ride, and I did learn a lot. So I think people work hard everywhere in every culture. I don't. I don't know one culture where people can just sit back and just enjoy things that are, you know, money that gr- grows on trees. However, I do feel that there are a lot more opportunities in the United States, and 
especially if you are thinking about how to do things differently. And because of my education and my background uh, from Israel, and you probably heard the, that Israel is kind of known as the startup nation, and and it's very entrepreneurial, and, and part of the culture is always asking questions and always asking, you know, how can I do this? differently? How can I do this better? How can I do something new? And so with with respect to a law firm, for example, we don't have any billable hours. And that's something very different than our industry. And all of our cases pretty much are on a flat fee basis. So it's great for the client and it's great for us because we don't have to track hours, right. you know. Uh, we have flexible work schedules. Um, all of our staff right now is, is comprised of women. And yeah, I was going to ask you about us. that. So, <laughs> oh, you are. I was on the, well, I was, uh, on, I was on the website and I I saw a photo of what appears to be the staff of the of the practice, and it's all women. Clearly, I was curious about the not from a sexist perspective. I was just curious what what was the motivation for that behind you? Was that a was that a plan or is it just kind of how it's worked out? It wasn't a plan, but it was it was just really how it worked out, basically hiring the best person for each position, and the the person ended up being a woman. And so it's it's a wonderful team environment. It's very supportive. Again, unlike any other law firm uh, that basically in a lot of law firms, you have to basically fend for yourself, and everybody's kind of stuck in their own little rooms or cubicles trying to do their work, finish it quickly and, and not really interact with each other. And here we're really completely the opposite. Uh, we're in each other's uh, cubicles, offices, and faces very often. And we really debate things, we discuss things, we openly share everything. And that's another thing that kind of is very different in our in our culture. And I think that's part of the contrarian entrepreneurial thought process. Mm-hmm. Why is that and how can we do it better? And with, with the clients who come to you, um, particularly on the corporate side, I guess, um, I, would, I would imagine if I'm an individual and I'm having difficulties going through the process of becoming a U.S. citizen or at least getting visas that I need to be able to work or get educated here, I'm going to think, well, maybe I should call an immigration attorney. But from, a, from the business side of things in the corporate world, I mean, how often do you see, is it is it mostly they're calling you or do you have somebody that interfaces with the corporate community to say, hey, this is what we do, this is how we can help you, you should think about us? How does that flow for you from the business side of things? So from the business side, it's really a lot about making good connections and building good relationships and and, and really fostering them and and making that into clients eventually. And it's a very slow process, and it's a process that you can't really it, – it's hard for us to do because we're so small. Um, if, if you think about a big law firm with all the resources and marketing folks that they have and mm-hmm. all the different partners, and all, they, they, they really um, can win in, in that, in, in that uh, instance. But what we have to do as a small firm with limited resources is really be strategic about, you know, which relationships we're investing in and and ultimately also provide the clients with better value, better service than our competition. And so basically reputation 
is also something that we really work hard on building and the, the quality uh, client experience is something that we really work hard at maintaining. And, and so we've been very fortunate that our clients have been with us for such a long time. So where, where do you find you smooth the edges and make things flow better from the perspective of the challenges that go along with the process of immigration? Where, when, I, when I engage with you, where do I, where's my ROI, if you will? Where do I save time or save money, whatever the case may be? Because we helped um, relocate hundreds of companies over the years, and we're really, based on my experience and, and experience of some of my uh, team members, as, as immigrant, um, also we re- represent about nine different nationalities um, in, in, in my law firm, and, and I cannot tell you how many languages. But um, we really understand what a client really needs when they come here. And uh, part of it is really getting acclimated to the business culture here. For example, a lot of folks in, in Europe think, oh, just having lunch with somebody means you close the deal. <laughs> no, you didn't. You just, you know. <laughs> and so a lot of it is really involving client education right. and, and knowing their culture and what, where they're coming from and their misconceptions. Um, I know a lot of cultures think, oh, opportunities here just fall and money just grows on trees and it's going to be so easy. And when they come here, they really experience a shock. So what we do a lot is, is client education, is, is reviewing their business plan and telling them what to expect and to um, do some, some type of meeting expectations and saying, okay, this is not going to work here and, and things like that. Uh, introducing them to, to cross-cultural experts uh, that can provide training uh, for, for these uh, folks who transfer here and also uh, do additional support for the family, for example, if they're relocating with a spouse and, and children, figure out what would be good activities for the spouse and children to, to participate in so that they f- feel not so alienated and, and alone in this process. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I know you're, you're a busy person and, and, and have a, an office to, to manage. Do you have some thoughts before we have to get you back to, to your day? Um, really, I think I think um, what I'd like to kind of say to to your listener is is that really, that immigration really is supposed to fix a, a lot of problems in in maintaining global talent and, and getting employment skills and and things like that. And it's also supposed to fix family issues. Um, and really, that the immigration system that we have does not work. It's, it's totally broken and need to be overhauled. And, and so, what I would encourage uh, the listeners um, is to to basically as for as much as possible contact their representative and uh, or representatives in Washington DC the senators and the congressmen to support immigration reform both on the legal immigration side by increasing the quota increasing the visas opening up more possibilities including a guest worker program that we really need and um, also solving the undocumented uh, population because this problem is not going to go away. It's just going to snowball. And so it really needs to be heard that by the representative that people who are in business, business owners, business leaders, um, to support these reforms because this is something that's critical um, and it, it's critical for every type of business in any type of industry. 
How does the, you, you came here from another country, how does the climate here as it relates to immigration, um, if I wanted to immigrate to Europe, I mean, what, what's it like for me going that direction um, compared to our process here? Who's doing it really well, I guess is the easiest way to ask. Well, I can tell you my native uh, country of Israel is phenomenal in, in its immigration policy. Um, if you are Jewish or uh, of Jewish ancestry, like a, a child or a grandchild of of, um, of a Jew, of a Jew, then basically you the company the country will pay for your uh, immigration to Israel. They will pay for about three months or four months stay at a um, with lodging and everything at a facility that would teach you. The, the Hebrew, which is a language, um, they will teach you for, uh, some, some uh, skills, employment skills, uh, training or retraining so that you could um, get acclimated to the job market in Israel. Um, you get, I think, a couple years uh, where you pay no income tax and you get housing for up to one year. I mean, it's phenomenal. I mean, it's very welcoming and phenomenal policy. And, and really getting acclimated, getting to know the language, getting to know the culture. Those are really very specific things that Israel actually does. I don't know. I, I don't know of any other countries uh, that, that does that. What about with and, the process just of just the, the documents that I have to file, the, the process, if you will, of, of getting there? So if you're Jewish, it's great. If you're anything other than Jewish, it's not. It's very difficult. So it's still cumbersome so, for... But, just about everybody. It's a difficult problem to solve, I guess, what you're saying. It is a very difficult problem to solve, and um, and now it's actually getting a little bit better. Uh, for example, the Euro- European Union, uh, once they, they got that set up, if you are a citizen of one of the EU countries, you can move very freely within the others mm-hmm. without any issues. Mm-hmm. So, of course, you have the issues of cultural language and all the other sure. stuff, but, but document-wise, all you need is a passport, and you're good to go which is great. Well, I, I've, I've really enjoyed uh, having you on the show today, Karen. Tell, tell folks where they can go to link up with your website and, uh, and follow you on social media. Okay, great. So um, our, um, our Twitter account is um, at the Visa Pros, and our website is Visa, V-I-S-A-Pros, uh, P-R-O-S, Visa-Pros.com. If you haven't done so already, make sure you tie in with the Midtown Business Radio Show on Twitter and Facebook at MidtownBRX and Facebook.com slash MidtownBRX. Then skip over to the iTunes store for the Midtown Business Radio Show podcast and subscribe because every week we're bringing you cool business leaders like Karen and many of the others that we have introduced to you every week over the past year. And given the fact that uh, Midtown Business Radio Show has been listened to in 50 states and over 59 countries, I'm very happy to be introducing them to a top-notch immigration attorney here in the Atlanta area who can help them navigate their immigration needs as they arise. So very thankful to have had Karen Weinstock here with us on the show. Great, thank you. And thanks again to everybody for making us a part of your day-to-day. We really appreciate you taking time to check out our experts. We'll see you same time, same place next week.